Stand Firm Ministries, Biblical Truth, taught by Dr. Shane Perez. October 31st, 1517, as Danielle mentioned, is a day uh, that should never be forgotten. Now, we think of October 31st as, as celebrating Halloween. But there was something a lot more important and impactful than Halloween that it happened on October 31st. But the Refor Reformation is an important time. It uh, happened on October 31st, but we don't celebrate it that much anymore. And in fact, a lot of people, even a lot of Christians, don't even know the history that much of, Refor of the Reformation. Now, if you've been at our church a while, we try to talk about it quite often, even um, a while ago. Wow. Was it seven, eight years ago? Our school kids, we tried to instill it in our school kids as well, and we did like a um, sort of a reenactment stations, I guess, uh, walking through uh, sort of the history or some important events that happened during the Reformation, and, and we did it on a Sunday for the church, and I remember that, and the kids have never forgotten that, and uh, that was really neat. But what happened was uh, around the mid-1300s is when things started to, uh, to take a turn. Back then, the church was a little different. There was only one church, the Roman Catholic Church. And the Pope had supreme power. When he had supreme power, and, and a lot of this, it goes back and forth as far as sometimes the king had power, sometimes the pope had power. Do you ever go look at church history? It depends on, on who was in charge that time. But throughout the centuries, the pope always had a lot of power. Many times it was like the pope was the dictator, not only of what happened in the church, but really of the whole country. So if the pope didn't like something, he could um, enforce laws or so forth that things could be changed. So the pope had supreme power. And I think there's a saying there, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And what happened is, when you look at church history, the Roman Catholic Church and even the popes themselves, not all of them were corrupt. Like they did, if you look at church history, they did a lot of good things. And there were many godly men that were pope. But during this time, things started to take a turn and there was corruption in the church. And what happened was, is that people weren't allowed to read the Bible. Well, they couldn't read the Bible. Even if they had a Bible, um, it would be in Latin. And the only people that could read Latin would be the educated priests or, uh, of the day. And usually, for a period of time, the, the Bibles were even chained to the pulpit to make sure nobody would take it. So the people didn't know what was in the Bible. The only way they got the information what's in the Bible was from their preacher or priest. And what happened is the priests ended up saying all sorts of things that were not aligned with the Bible. And it started taking a direction. And it got to the point where the church realized that they could make a lot of money doing things like that. And therefore, it started just escalating downhill. And the church became very corrupt. It was no longer a spotless bride of Jesus Christ. But it turned into a man-ruled uh, institute that was very greedy and immoral. But during that time, something amazing happened. There were some people that rose to the challenge. 
One of the first ones was John Wycliffe. One of the things that he opposed was what uh, we sort of call today simony. I don't know if you, I won't read you the passage here, but simony is taken from Acts chapter 8. Remember, there's this individual named Simon who was trying to um, pay the disciples to like receive the Holy Spirit. Said, hey, I'll give you money for that. Well, there's actually was a practice in the Roman Catholic Church where people would pay to get certain offices. Hey, I want to be a bishop. Well, if you give the Pope enough money, guess what happened? You became a bishop and can even work your way up the political religious ladder if you had money. Aren't you glad things like that don't happen today? But John Wycliffe, he started writing and he started... Um, Opposing such things as that. And also he opposed the practice of indulgences. Indulgences is a pretty neat thing. I, if we did that today, I think we could raise a lot of money. And what that was is you could pay money and sort of go do some sin. And there's no consequence for the sin. You're like forgiven for the sin. You can even do it beforehand. So you could pay the money and uh, plan a sin and pay the money before, and then you wouldn't have to worry about uh, the consequences of the sin or God looking at you bad because of the sin. You could just pay money and get away with sin. So church realized back in the day they could make a lot of money doing that, and that is what they did. And there's many other abuses that the church did, but these are two particular ones that John Wycliffe opposed. Now, Wycliffe, he didn't suffer too much. He lived a long life. He died in 1384. But the church started getting this opposition. Now, when you get opposition or, or some complaints, you have two, really one of two options there. One option could be you can accept the criticism and change. Hey, you know what? We're right. This is wrong. Let's, let's make some changes. Or you can silence the people that are making the criticism. Uh, I feel like we see that a little bit in our country today. People get silenced or, or canceled or, or so forth to keep them quiet. Well, with John Wycliffe, he died and, um, and didn't face a lot of opposition, but about almost 100 years later, the church was so fed up with his writings that still continued to be taught and to be talked about after his death that they decided they needed to just get rid of John Wycliffe, get rid of his memory completely. So guess what they did? They went up and dug up his bones. Of course, they probably burned all his writings as well, but they dug up his bones and, and burned them and scattered the ashes so that never, uh, nobody would ever find the remains of John Wycliffe and get rid of his tombstone and be like he never existed. But that didn't work because then another individual, John Huss, he read many of John Wycliffe's ideas and he agreed with them. And he promoted many of his ideas, especially against indulgences. These were people that were knowledgeable of God's word. And they were saying, this doesn't add up. This doesn't match up. This is not right. This is wrong. So what the church did is they said, okay, uh, Mr. Huss, we will hear your complaints. So come to us and tell us your complaints. And John Huss was a little bit smarter than that. It's like, well, I'm not going to do that because I don't trust you. What are you going to do to me if I come? And then they promised him, we're not going to do anything. We will grant you safe passage to come talk to us and then you can go back home. Okay, fine. 
I'll go. And he went. And then guess what they said? I think we're going to change your mind. And actually, you're going to stand trial. And he stood trial immediately and was found guilty. And he was burned at the stake in 1450. And there were many others. Reformation was not just Martin Luther. There were many people before Martin Luther that was sort of setting a stage or laying a foundation. Wycliffe and Huss is only just a couple, but there's many more. But then it came to Luther. And he promoted, he read about the ideas of Wycliffe and Huss, and he supported them as well. And I want to read Romans 1.17. Danielle referenced it earlier. In Romans 1.17, it says, From the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And that is one of the verses that Martin Luther said convicted him, among other, thing, among other passages, that the church was misleading the people. Going to heaven was not determined by how many sacraments you keep, by how much money you give, by the things that you do for the church. But salvation was accomplished by faith, and faith alone. And Martin Luther, he was a studier of God's Word, and when he read that, it really convicted him. This is not what the church is teaching. This is totally different. So he decided to write down, he had many other complaints, he decided to write down 95 complaints against the church. And then he made it public. Those days he nailed it uh, sort of in a, on a billboard in the town hall would sort of be similar to it. That's what the church, uh, the uh, doors of the church were sort of used for. And he nailed his ideas against the church. Now in Luther's mind, and he even says this, he thought that he would, tell them the, he would tell them his complaints and that the Pope would see them and that he would change his mind. And that's not what happened. So the Pope went after Luther. They'd killed many other people that had tried the same thing. So he was another person and the church was just going to go out and try to kill him. Now what God did is he stepped in and he protected Luther. He got him far away from, from Rome and gave him opportunities um, to be protected by other uh, political leaders as well. So Luther didn't get punished by the church. And actually his greatest accomplishment, a lot of people think it was a 95 thesis that he put on the church. That got the ball rolling. But what happened is he did go into hiding for a little bit because the church was after him. And then he really accomplished his greatest feat. And that was translating the Bible into German so that the common German person could read it. So he didn't, it wasn't dependent on him. He didn't have to go around and tell them, hey, this is what the Bible says. This is what the church is doing. We need to fix it. He could just um, give them a translation of the Bible and they could figure it out themselves. And he wouldn't have to be there. It wouldn't be a message from one man, but it'll be a book that could have been duplicated and spread throughout Germany. Wanted to relive the Reformation a little bit and give you an understanding of what was going on during those times and sort of what happened. That would be sort of the, the Reformation in a, in a short brief of history. 
uh, Luther got the ball rolling. He translated the Bible into German, and then it just started spreading. The truth got out. People started resisting the Catholic Church, and then things uh, eventually came to a head, and things changed forever. Forever. Look at the history of all our denominations today. It comes from sort of foundation. goes back to Luther, and when he opposed uh, the Catholic Church, then people started splitting from the Catholic Church and started coming up with other denominations. Remember, at the time, there was only one church. It was a Roman Catholic Church, and the, and the Pope uh, made the final decision on everything. And because of Luther's ideas and Huss's ideas and Wycliffe's ideas on promoting um, or really revealing and showing how the church was corrupted, people were able to read the Bible in their own language. One thing about Luther, he translated it into German, but it also inspired others. Hey, if Luther can translate the Bible into German, I want to translate it into my language. And it's like a snowball effect. It started spreading. And you didn't need people to tell you anything. They were able to read the Bible for themselves and determine truth. Talk about reliving the Reformation. But I also want you to remember the importance of the Reformation. The Reformers took a stand against corruption. They took a stand for what was right. And they took a stand regardless of the consequences. I look at our young people today and I can't think of many more important things than teaching our young people about the Reformation. They saw John Huss, Wycliffe, Luther, the Reformers, they saw corruption in the church and they decided to do something about it. They decided to take a stand, to take a stand for what was right. Even at the cost, many of them, of their own lives. They chose to take a stand and do what was right regardless of the consequences. We need to revive the spirit of the Reformation today. The spirit that motivated the Reformers needs to be found in us today. It's a shame the church doesn't focus on it as much. It's amazing, in October 31st, come Monday, or maybe in this past weekend, uh, a lot of our churches focus on other things. I'm not against sending candy out to kids. There's nothing wrong with that. I even eat some of my own kids' candy if they get some. And I don't even think, I think the idea of having something that be evangelistic and reaching out to kids is a great idea. But so many of our churches will have different Halloween events or, or truck and treat events but they won't have anything talking about the reformers about standing up for what is right the spirit that the reformers have had needs to be passed down to us we need to remember we need to look at the history understand what they did why they did it we need to pass that down to our young people today they need to be taught that, not only in words or in reading or so forth, but they need to be taught it by our actions as well. The reason why I picked Wycliffe and, and Huss and Luther is because you see sort of chronological order there. Where Wycliffe sort of got it started, then Huss sort of picked it up and took it to another level, and then Luther made 
some dramatic changes to it that sort of pushed it over the edge and there was no turning back. What we need to be instilling in our young people today is the spirit that they had in the Reformation. Need to be taught it, need to be seen it, they need to be motivated, and they need to be inspired. The church is getting more and more corrupt every single day. Here's an example of that. The third wave in the attack on the church is to pervert priests, pastors, doctrine to erode religion and people's faith in it from within. I asked you earlier in the show if you noticed anything weird going on in your church. We should be mindful of this. I don't think it's usually as blatant as this. Watch. One of the things I think is great about Miss Pentecost is she reminds us that we, we follow a God who calls us to not conform to things of this world. Uh, that we're supposed to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And that means that what I think today may have to change tomorrow if I continue to renew my mind. And it's so cool that we serve a God that calls us to continue to grow and continue to, to change into something new. Uh, and to not be bound by the ways that the world mm. confines us sometimes, mm. that, that we're supposed to live differently. Um, Pastor, I'd just like to point out that's a complete perversion of anything God ever wrote down, said, any of it. Um, seems like you're kind of uh, conforming to the world now that it is popular and a new religion. Um, there are some things that are un changeable like chromosomes this is a united methodist pastor two children and a drag queen in a church the drag queen is ms pentecost oh that's funny she's touring churches all over the country i should say he is his real name is isaac simmons he is actually an official candidate to be ordained as a pastor and recently claimed that, quote, God is nothing, the Bible is nothing, and religion is nothing. In some churches now, blasphemy apparently is doctrine. And did you hear the blasphemy of that pastor in the church as he spoke to the kids? He said that Pentecost was so special because he represented what God calls us for. Quote, we do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Basically, truth, doctrine, means nothing. You can just be transformed into whatever you want. Just keep your mind open. If you go into any satanic church, I'm guessing you're going to hear almost word for word the same thing. I feel like it's almost like we've went out and we've taken all the Bibles from everybody. And nobody has truth anymore. And the only truth they get is what uh, supposedly the religious leaders are telling them. And we have so much evidence that that is what has happened, but it has not. We all have our Bibles, yet we believe so many lies that the world is telling us. The things that are going on in our country today, it isn't because the, the atheists or the, the Satanists or whatever group of people are going out and changing everything. It's because the Christians aren't standing on God's word. The Christians are a vast majority. And what has happened is we started, so many Christians have started to believe false doctrine uh, such as that. 
They believe the false doctrine and they're not reading the word of God for themselves. We need to lay a foundation for our kids and for the future generations by demonstrating a spirit of, of reformation. We must take a stand against corruption. We must take a stand against false doctrine. We must take a stand for truth. And it doesn't matter what the consequences are, but I'll tell you what needs to happen is the next generation needs to see us start taking some consequences. Luther, he was reading about John Huss and reading his ideas. He knew how it ended for John Huss. And it didn't deter him. It inspired and motivated him. He knew what happened to the bones of John Wycliffe and what the church tried to do by uh, trying to erase his memory. But it didn't deter him. It inspired him and motivated him. It's hard for us to inspire and motivate people when we're not suffering any consequences for taking a stand for the truth. And taking the stand, and you may ask, well, well, what can I do? When you're given an opportunity, stand for truth. I'm not saying you've got to run out and protest this or confront somebody for that. I'm saying when you have the opportunity, stand for truth. In a nice, loving, compassionate way, but firmly stand for truth. I promise you, most of us, as we come up on the holiday season, we're probably going to run across some family members or friends, and we will have an opportunity to stand for truth. But previously, we decided, well, you know, we want to have a good family uh, uh, feast or a good time at Thanksgiving. I don't want to cause trouble. I don't want to make this person mad. So we decide just to be quiet. Maybe they're, they're just talking, spreading um, lies or, or misinformation or something like that. And we decide, well, we don't want to cause a fuss. We'll just be quiet because we don't want to go through the consequences. If we won't go through those consequences, how are we going to go through consequences that's going to cost us so much more? We need to start standing for truth, just like the reformers did, suffering the consequences, whether they're great or small, and making sure the next generation is seeing what is happening. And I promise you, it will not deter the followers of Jesus Christ, but it will motivate and inspire them. When I think of Martin Luther and all the reformers, one thing I see is that they didn't rely on man, number one. They didn't care what the church said. Even the most powerful person in the world at that time, they didn't care what they thought. They were not relying on them to save them, to even direct them. And another thing they were not relying on was themselves. They knew that they couldn't do what needs to be done. You read about Martin Luther, one thing about him, he did great works but you know, he had extreme cases of depression. He had issues himself that he had to deal with. Some of the same issues that we deal with. But he still didn't rely on himself and his own thinking. I think one thing many Christians are doing today is they're replacing uh, the truth that it's found in God's Word with their own opinion. 
That's where Luther started reading the Bible. And it started impacting him. Wait a minute. This is what the Bible says. I have to go with this. Doesn't matter what I've been taught. It doesn't matter what punishment I may get. I must stay with what the Bible says. And do what the Bible says. We need that spirit today of not relying on others. Not relying on ourselves. But totally relying on God. Took a field trip this week. Went down to the memorial, but then I earlier uh, went somewhere else. Went to the Baytown Jail. It was a tour. I was not arrested. <laughs> <laughs> And if I was, I'm not going to tell you any information. I'm teaching a class on criminology. So I called up the jail a week or so ago and said, hey, can we get a visit of the jail? And, and they said, sure. Went down there and the people were, were just super nice and, and cordial and just took us through every room in the jail. And, and it was really neat. Told us all sorts of stories and, um, and different things. And it was quite the experience. And, and even going through the, the introduction to criminal Law, I even show the kids um, some prison shows, what it's like to be in prison. A lot of documentaries or so forth. The one we've been locking, watching was Lock Up. Uh, this is what life is like in prison. So I've been showing them them those uh, videos. I've been uh, taking them to a jail. And all those things are pretty deterring. Sort of does not, not very inviting environments. But you know, I was talking to my class this week in the direction the country's headed. And what it's like being a Christian. You know what I told them? Their chances of ending up in a prison or a jail, in my opinion, are very high in America for that generation. If they are going, right now we see it where people are just losing their jobs. This teacher lose their job for this. This coach lost their job for praying. And, and just people just losing their job and, and getting a, and shunned by society, sort of. You're getting canceled here, you're getting canceled there, businesses are affected or so forth. That's, what we're, that's the level we're at now. But to think about it, it's not going to stay there. It's going to continue to get worse. You listen to the rhetoric, you see what people are saying about Christianity, and, and uh, you get an idea of what sort of the plans or direction it's going. It's just going to get worse. And what we need is we need people to take a stand. The next generation, next generation, the young people, they need to see us maybe losing our jobs. Maybe, maybe making some family members upset. Maybe getting shunned by society. They need to see that to inspire and motivate them so that when it comes their time to go to prison and jail, that they will take a stand and they will do what is right when the opportunity comes. I don't know if we're setting a very good foundation. I don't know how many testimonies I heard in our church lately where people are standing up and saying, hey, this is what happened to me. I lost my job this week because I was taking a stand for Jesus Christ. I see it on the news sometimes in different areas. But most of us as Christians, we just put our head down and we just do what we're told. We've got to take a stand. At this time of the year, at, uh, remember what Luther did. Remember what John Huss did, John Wycliffe. 
Remember what these reformers did, and it worked. It changed, it changed the world. It didn't just change their society. It didn't just change their country. It changed the world. And if we want a revival in our country, if we want things to change in our world, it's time for us to tar- start taking a stand. And I have a feeling that we may not be the ones that change it. But we start taking a stand and instilling in our young people, this is what they're supposed to do down the road. I think they are going to be the ones that already change it. But I don't know if they will if they don't see us start taking a stand. And so I don't So I challenge you today, don't lean on your own thinking, don't lean on somebody else's thinking, but lean completely on Jesus Christ. It's okay if you have to go to jail or prison or lose your job, because guess who's going to be with you through all of that? Jesus Christ.
Dr. Shane Perez hopes this lesson encourages you and equips you to minister to others with your walk as a Christian. We would love to hear from you. Drop us an email at StandFirmMinistries at Yahoo.com.